0: I'm just going to jump right in this morning. We're on our 10th station. Four weeks left of the stations of the cross. And today our passage comes from Matthew 27, verses 33 to 36. And when they came to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his clothes among themselves by casting lots. Then they sat down there and kept watch over him. I don't know why, but I have this fascination of skulls. I love skulls. I actually tried to wear my skull shirt this morning, but it was too busy for the camera and it makes you kind of dizzy. Patterns aren't so good on cameras. But I have a lot of clothing that has skulls on it just because I think they're fascinating. Uh, Some people think that's weird, but that's okay. But the skull really is an image of death, right? When we see it, automatically we think death. So this passage could read, and they led him to the place of death. That's the place we all have to go to. It's a cheery thought on this sunny morning, isn't it? Literally we will come to the place of the skull, the place of death. And figuratively, we also come to many little deaths. And we face these little deaths, sometimes like a big death. Could be a death to self, death to, my, death to my own wishes, my own desires, to greed, to material possessions. But in those little deaths, we're really being prepared For the final death. I think it's very strange that Jesus is taken to the place of the scholar death. Because he dies, and yet we believe that he conquered death. It's interesting. How has death been conquered when children still die of starvation? When empires still invade other countries? When species continue to go to extinct, when poverty continues to kill. In the resurrection, the one thing nice is we already know the ending, right? In the resurrection, we see that death is not the end. It is a beginning. In fact, death is really a transformation. We can fight against it, but it's going to come. And Jesus walks to the place of the skull. He doesn't resist. He doesn't drink the wine that would make him drowsy or may cloud his vision. He knows that death is painful, but it brings about something new. John twelve twenty four to 25 says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it, Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. I wondered on his journey to the cross if Jesus thought that this is going to hurt, but it'll be worth it. Just as winter is coming to the end and spring will see new life bursting forth, just as we now see new life bursting forth in our own life when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death and allow it to break as of our habits. We see this pattern of life and death and resurrection over and over again throughout our lives. It's a pattern we have to accept, learn to deal with. 1 Corinthians 15:45 to 57 says, so it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As, the, as was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so are, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself in the imperishable, and the moral with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the moral with immortality... Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, death, is your victory? Where, oh, death, is your sting? As Jesus is the first to be raised to new life, now we can all view death, literal and figurative, as transformation. Right? When we die to the things of self, it is painful, it feels like we're dying right? When we have to give up part of our identity. It's dark. And yet, if we follow Jesus into it, we can be transformed by it. So what seems to be defeated is our reason to fear death. All death transforms us. It doesn't end us. And because we have someone that goes before us, we have no reason to fear. We see this in Jesus' resurrection, don't we? His new body seems to have less limitations. There's a newness, there's something new changed. It says that when they came to the place of Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. So Jesus is heading toward the place of death and he's offered a way to avoid some of the suffering a way to avoid the pain. The text said it's wine with gall. And it's thought that gall had a narcotic effect and would dull your senses. That on top of wine. But it would have had a bitter taste. So Jesus tastes it, spits it out, and chooses not to drink it. He doesn't want to avoid the suffering. Don't we hate suffering and pain? right? Just like we try to avoid death, we try to avoid suffering. Just go home this afternoon and open up where you keep your med- meds, okay? Seriously. I'm not, and I'm not suggesting that pain management is a bad thing. I'm just noting how quickly we try to avoid pain. And yet we know that pain actually tells us something. It's giving us a message that something is wrong, Right? Something is off, and we need to adjust. Suffering like death is just another tool of transformation. Or better, we, we can be transformed through suffering. And just as death comes for us all, we will all experience pain and suffering. John 16:33 says, "I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In this world, you will have trouble. In some ways, it seems though that Christianity has become a religion of suffering and death avoidance instead of transformation. Right? We're gonna, we tell people that Jesus will change everything, make everything sunny, stop the rain, get them the house they wanted. Right? Right? that the Bible has the solutions to all their problems. And if that's not good enough, don't worry. When you die, everything's going to be new and none of the problems follow you, right? But to follow Jesus is to follow him through suffering, through death, and then into resurrection. I find it interesting that when the disciples encounter the risen Jesus, they tell of how he appears in certain places. Right? He's here and then he's there, seemingly transporting from place to place, walking through walls. We love that idea of resurrection, don't we? A body without limitations. It's a good image. And when Thomas encounters Jesus, Jesus points to the scars. This is who I am. This is how you know it's me, the holes in his hands. The hole in his side. I imagine that there were still whip marks on his back and holes in his head from the crown. Jesus' wounds, his marks of suffering, live forever. They're transformed into beauty marks, they're transformed into love revealed, right? Suffering, if we let it, will be transformed. Unfortunately, if we do not let tr- uh, suffering transform us, if we try to avoid it, if we try to bypass it, it changes us anyway. We become bitter, cynical, unhappy. One of my favorite authors writes If we cannot find a way to make our wounds into sacred wounds, we will invariably become cynical, negative, or bitter. This is the storyline of many of the greatest novels, myths, and stories of every culture. If we do not transform our pain, we will most assuredly transmit it. Usually to those closest to us, our family, our neighbors, our co-workers, and invariably the most vulnerable, our children. You know that one-third of all the Psalms are laments? So there's about five groups of Psalms, and the largest grouping are laments. If you don't know, the Psalms are sort of our ancient songbook, our ancient poetry. But if any of you listen or like worship music, try to think of even three songs that might be a lament. Can you? Two songs. One song? He talks with me, he walks with me. Yeah, possible. So when I go through our list, we have hundreds of songs on our list. I found one that I would consider a lament, and it was written in-house for a lament service. Hmm. I wonder how this has affected the culture of our faith. We avoid pain. We don't transform pain into poetry or into artwork. Then how is pain negatively transforming our community? Can we begin the process of changing suffering into visible reminders of God's goodness, like the scars of Jesus? Can we reject the anesthetizing effect of avoidance? Reject the wine mixed with gall so that we can accept the scars? Scars that will eventually be marks of beauty for the world. Jesus rejects the wine that will dull his senses. But later in the journey, he drinks wine. So in just a few weeks, we'll see this. And I'm not going to take too long in this because it comes up again. But in John 19, 29 to 30, it says a jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Sour wine, basically vinegar. It was the, the wine reserved for the poor people was already spoiled, so you could sell it cheaper. Again, we see Jesus identified with those perceived at the bottom of society. But in that, there's beautiful imagery, right? We see it's dipped in wine and put on a hyssop branch. And it echoes Exodus 12, 21 to 23. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel together and said to them, Go pick out a lamb or a young goat for each of your families and slaughter the Passover animal. Drain the blood into a basin. Then take a bundle of hyssop branches and dip it into the blood. Brush the hyssop across the tops and sides of the door frames of your house, and no one may go through the door until morning. For the Lord will pass through the land to strike down the Egyptians, but when he sees the blood on the top and the sides of the door frame, the Lord will pass over your home. He will not permit his death angel to enter your house and strike you down. There's beautiful connection there in the Passover imagery. For a number of years I worked at a detention facility. I really loved working there, it was great. Uh, But the worst part of the job, because you know every job has a terrible thing, the worst part was the intake process. Because you'd go into a little room and take people's names all their information and then they had to do a strip search it's probably a good thing I didn't like that part of the job (laughs) probably in the wrong place but there is so much humiliation involved in that someone being forced to remove their clothing and before Jesus is nailed to the cross he's stripped naked exposed They used to say clothing makes the man. And people continue to believe that they're covering. It affects the way we interact with people, the way we dress. In fact, probably if I was wearing a black shirt with a clerical collar this morning, you might interact differently with me. I know that when we bump into people in uniforms and marked cars, we act differently. And sometimes I've seen people that wear uniforms act very differently in uniform and out of uniform. Clothes do sort of define us. So when Jesus is stripped, he becomes a nobody. No class to be identified with. No uniform to define his work. In the Garden of Eden, we see Adam and Eve recognizing their nakedness, they feel the shame of breaking relationship with God. They're afraid and they hide. And then God comes walking in the garden. He calls out to them, where are you? Why are you hiding? When he recognizes that they do feel shame, God does the beautiful act of making the first set of clothing. He gives them a gift. They expect anger, but God covers the shame. It isn't like God thought they needed clothing, eh? He didn't just walk into the garden and say, oh, myself, they're naked. Jesus goes through the pain that Adam and Eve did. He is laid bare. But since we know the ending, he is clothed in newness, a gift of God, a new clothing. Jesus goes ahead of us to death. For whatever reason, humiliation seems to be needed. We see this as people lose the strength to perform their basic needs as they get older. I always joke with my kids that they have to change my diapers when I get older. But for us to receive new life, the old coverings, the masks, the things that are not truly us have to come off. Have you ever experienced that? When I was a, as an athlete, I thought I was invincible in something pretty awesome. Thought nothing can stop me. And then an illness came and rendered me weak or what I thought was weak. I was exposed, right? The clothing of the physical part of me was torn away. But in being revealed, I was transformed into something new. There's something beautifully deep about people who go through that process, right? People that have walked through that humiliation again and again. I often see it in older people. People who are near death, you see it. They become very real. But I also see it in people that society looks down on. There's a realness. People who struggle with physical pain. People who have disabilities, there's a beauty there. And while Jesus is laid bare, while he is stripped of his clothing, like we all will be when we're revealed, the soldiers, in comparison, try to obtain more stuff. They gamble over Jesus' clothes. They play games while Jesus suffers. As Jesus allows the world to see him as he truly is, the soldiers wager over something to hide their identity. When working on this week's artwork, I I chose to use my own hand as the model. And it's not because I didn't have a hand model available, there are people are lining up to be hand models. (laughs) But because I see myself in the soldier's position, right? They are concerned about a thrifted outfit more than they are with the suffering of someone right in front of them. How often do I get distracted by the meaningless? And I miss out on beauty. How often do I Netflix and chill while my neighbors are struggling? This image for me this week was so absurd that people would play games while someone is breathing their last breath. It was convicting. It's true. It's true for me. God, help us to be transformed by suffering, by our own journey through the valley of the shadow of death, by our humiliation, and by the suffering we see all around us. Let me read to you again the the station. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink, mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his clothes among themselves by casting lots. Then they sat down there and kept watch over him. Let's pray. God, thank you for revealing yourself, your true nature in Jesus. A God of humility that calls us into humility. God, reveal yourself to us in our own suffering and in the suffering of our neighbors. Help us to be present to them in their suffering, even as you are present to us. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Have a great week. Pray that you experience God's grace and peace and that we see you again soon. Amen.